If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, got another BGDL community spotlight. Today, we're talking about components, talking about component first game design. And we're talking to a guy who knows a thing or two about that. He's designed some really good games with basically only components. He won a component only game design contest not too long ago. Scott Smith from Phase Shift Games. Scott, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. I've been listening to the show for a long time and uh, just really appreciate the the community on here and, and so happy to be a, a little part of it here. Awesome, man. Really glad to have you here. I remember when I saw Dungeon Drop as part of the Game Crafters contest for component-only games way back when. I mean, I guess it wasn't that long ago, but I mean, with COVID, every every year feels like a decade. So I don't know. It could have been true. a decade ago, but anyway. <laughs> and I remember seeing it and going, man, that's a really cool idea. What a just clever way to design a game. And then it went on to do extraordinarily well on Kickstarter. And then you had a follow-up game here pretty recently called Drop Drive, where it's kind of like a science fiction version of the game. It's got some totally different things going on. So anyway, I'm excited to chat about your ideas on on doing this because you have prove, proven that you know how to do it and you know how to bring a product to market. It's not just a, a game design. It's also a product that people want to buy that is mainly components. So yeah, really excited to have you here on the show. But before we get into the topic, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm a teacher. Uh, I teach in arts department at a private high school. Um, and, you know, I grew up like so many people I've heard uh, in game design. I, I grew up making games. There's no question. Just uh, I wanted to turn everything into a game, all my toys and things. Uh, Hero Quest, uh, I'm excited. That's on my my radar to pick up the new version of Hero Quest. I love that thing. Um but anyway, I, I experimented with it for a long time. Um, and then, you know, I, I did go through, I mean, I played a whole bunch of magic cards through middle school and, and onward a bit. Um, and then just kind of dropped off my radar for a long time, you know, and this happens with a lot of people. Um, but I got back into it like so many others. I think I played Catan with some friends and uh, just got really back into the hobby. Um and then started fiddling around with my own designs. I'm a, uh, also a writer. I have a creative writing degree. Um, and, uh, you know, game design for a long time for me was always a hobby. I couldn't stop myself from doing, but I was relentlessly bad at it for a long time. I just, my own designs, you know, wouldn't pan out. And that was fine, you know, because it was just a hobby. Um, but the game crafter was a big thing. The old, 
get into that because that was part of my story here. Um, that really kind of changed my thinking. Um, the whole way the Game Crafter really got me thinking again about components because they could, they could, we could make my own components there um, so easily. Um, and they ran contests. It just got me into it uh, a much more kind of focused professional way. Um, and that was my path back into actually doing more like professional game design. Very cool. And I know a lot of people can say something similar because of the Game Crafter. I know mm -hmm. I got really much more, or I guess, much deeper into game design once the Game Crafter came along and I could all of a sudden order prototypes and have oh, yeah. cards that felt good and looked good and all these I mean it changed the game so to speak in, a, in so many ways for so many people and yeah I, JT Smith over there who is one of the main founders of the Game Crafter he, I mean he revolutionized game design and it just happened to come about around the time I was getting into it and maybe it sounds something similar for you that you're kind of coming down and in, coming into that path as well and so yeah thank goodness yeah. for them man um, alright let's talk about component first design there are so many ways to begin a game design. I mean, there is mechanics first, there's theme first, there's experience first, there's name of the game first, but we're talking about component first. And so let's get a good like working definition. What does that mean to you exactly to have a component first design? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a game, you know, a good game is such a, a synergy of so many of these things you just mentioned working together right. Um, and, you know, I think the most common ways I often talk about it with people have, a, or at least originally, were always theme first and mechanics first. It was like this back and forth. And some of those other things you just mentioned are totally legit too. But those were always kind of the two ways I, I broke it down in my own mind most of the time. And I always thought of myself as more of a theme first person. Um, you know, I love story. Uh, and, you know, I think theme and experience are really tied together when you're coming at design from that way. You know, it's like you you go watch an awesome movie in the movie theater. You know, I, I watch Dune and afterwards I'm like, oh my God, I need to design a sci-fi game. You know, it's just the theme seeps into you. Or, you know, I take my dog to the vet and uh, I get all these game design ideas there, right? You know, mechanics is a much headier place. Uh, it comes from a lot of my actual experience with games, um, thinking about games, listening to your podcast, stuff like that, right? Um, and it's a very like heady intellectual place, but is often a really, really smart place to come from. I always admire my friends that that work this way. That it's like it's almost like spreadsheet first. They're just like really mechanical way to go into things. But component first, you know, is sort of evolved over the course of. You know, my my the game crafter, like we said, um, you know, just just thinking about the components so much, and then my first game that really had traction um, won the the component only contest on the game crafter. For me, component first is really play first in a lot of ways. Um, it comes from a much more physical, playful place than the other ways into game design. Um, so this could be literally, you know, my my son uh, got a little bucket of tiny blocks uh, for, uh, I think, a birthday, right? Just little, little blocks, like traditional kids' blocks, but small. And as soon as I saw those things, I was like, I need to make time to just dump those out on the table and play with them and think about them, you know, um, just from a really physical perspective. Um, you know, play-centered place. Because uh, 
I'm finding that that a lot of a lot of new ideas um, in game design can come from that space, and and I really want to just encourage people to um, to give that kind of like inner child part of yourself room and, and permission, um, because it, you know components tactileness is so much of what I think I I love about board games. It makes them different than video games, different than really any other kind of art form is that they exist in the physical world. Yeah, absolutely. And so getting into like the why of designing these kind of games, what, what would you say is a good reason to design these games? Because I feel like there's not that many people mm. talking about this. It's, you know, nine times out of 10, it's a themes for, theme first versus mechanism first discussion. And sometimes experience comes in, sometimes other things. But, you know, not, not a lot of people, I feel like, even think in these terms of component first. And so what would be your advice to people as far as like maybe just to try it? Like why should more designers mm. think about designing games component first? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, I think it gets a bad rap <laughs> uh, usually. You know, um, there's a really negative term that I think a lot of people attach to this type of thinking, which is that uh, games can be distri- described as kind of gimmicky. Um, uh, if if people think it's, it's overly sort of component heavy, you know, or a toy game, you know, that's another phrase I would kind of throw out there, you know, but I guess what I'm, what I'm sort of arguing here is that, um, that all games have this aspect to them, you know, and as much as some of us might dismiss a, a toy game, you know, as not being so much a part of like serious game design, I also think we all love it to a certain degree, you know, whether we, you know, how much we want to admit it or not, um, you know, and, you know, this way of thinking, like, for example, you know, they're putting together Fireball Island. Uh, we could easily dismiss that as kind of a, a, a toy game. Um, but that is an example of probably, especially when Restoration Games did it, uh, they had to think component first because they, they there was no way <laughs> during the design of that game they were going to throw out the island and the rolling marbles, right? Like that was pinned in. It had to be there. And a lot of other things are going to get designed around it. Um, of course, I'm saying, you know, I, I think designers will find this sometimes a really ref- refreshing place to come to game design from. It's a fun place, like innately to come to things from. So if you're finding like you're really in your head, um, you know, cranking through some sort of, uh, you know, more mathematical problem with your design and uh that's just wearing you down. This is this is a great, if nothing else, it's a great um kind of break from that, a new space to just get out some components on the table and work really physically, get away from your computer for a while um, and mess around with stuff. Um, and, and uh, you know, even something like uh, 18 card games, which are, you know, kind of a fun little niche design world out there. Um, that is kind of component first too, right? You know, you're going to have exactly 18 cards and cards themselves have uh, um, really particular properties, right? Um, they're flat, they're light, they, they are phenomenal for art, right? And displaying art, you know, but they've got those like four clear edges on each side. They can fold, but aren't usually. They shuffle, which is kind of like just an amazing quality of cards if you think stop and think about it. Um and because it's 18, that can be only divided up in so many ways. Like, it's kind of fascinating to think, you know, if you just take a stack of 18 cards and play around with it, different piles and arrays, you know, what gets created there without any other original goal in mind. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, cards are technically components. And mm-hmm. so if you're designing a card game, in a lot of ways you are designing a, a component first game, especially if the cards, like the actual physical nature of the card plays into the game mm. some way as far as like, are you tossing it in some kind of dexterity way or are you uh, flipping the card? Or are you you know, putting it at a certain angle on the table? Like there's a lot of things to think about. You also bring up a good point. As far as component first, it does seem that a lot of mass market games trend towards this. You know, I'm mm. thinking about games that my, my kids have, like Operation is very much a, a component <laughs> first. Like if you didn't have that that metal board that had the little tweezer and the battery and they goes, er, you know, when you hit the, the side, like, that's obviously component first because without that, it'd be a totally different game. Uh, they've got a game that has like little plastic poop, I you know, yeah. to- not tokens, but like actual like rubbery poop things in the game. Yeah. Uh, there's a game with a toilet that you have to do. Every- like, so there's a lot yeah. of mass market things to think about. But even in the in the hobby space and the kind of more gamer type games that, that we usually talk about on this show, it's definitely possible because you've done it. And so let's talk about your mm-hmm. design process for games like Dungeon Drive and Drop Drive. Like, tell me kind of how the games came to be and then how you worked through the design of those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Dungeon Drop was designed for this component-only contest and the, and the rules of the contest on the Game Crafter, and thank you again for even having the contest, were um, that you couldn't have any printed custom components of any kind, right? So no cards, no custom dice. Um, you could only just build a game um, with bits. You know, and my, my first reaction to something like that, actually, as someone who loves theme, uh, is that it was not a contest I'd be particularly interested. Uh, this is, you know, obviously way back at the beginning of my, my design days. So, um, you know, I, one day I was just kind of driving back from the grocery store and this idea popped into my head because you read the, the great thing about a contest is you read the, the description. And then if you're like me, like you just can't stop thinking about that. If it's an interesting constraint, you know, it's tough to not think about it. And maybe, maybe there is a way to do it. And I was thinking with this, um, well, if you had, you know, different colored or shaped components um, and they just kind of, were spread out in some way on the tabletop, maybe there was a picture that you could make here uh, using those bits. Uh, that And, and the, the, the big idea that clicked for me is that it could, could potentially make a map of the dungeon. So these, um, these bits on the table, um, once you were looking at them the right way, were actually uh, a sort of a map of a very physical space. And in your imagination, you could kind of um, really start to to imagine a whole dungeon board in this space with pillars and treasure and monsters all all in this space. Um, and it, you know, I think one of the things that that is a good example of where this thinking might lead to some some new interesting territory is you don't always have to use the same components uh, in ways they've been used in the past. And this is often where a unique idea can click in this world of, of component-first design. Um, and the example I'd give with this for Dungeon Drop is that, you know, as soon as people see the game set up, it's just a whole bunch of chaos. You just drop a whole bunch of colored cubes on the table and stuff. So all these cubes everywhere. Uh, and most people, when they see it, assume it must be a dexterity game because there's bits and there's a clear tabletop. And most games, I think you'd see with that, that type of, uh, layout, you're going to be flicking stuff and, um, you know, making stuff collide with each other. But uh, really, the the idea that made this click for me was that it was not going to be a dexterity game first. Uh, you would drop all these bits on the table. Um, 
but I was going to use these components in a different way. I was going to use it to, to sort of be able to draw these spaces, these room spaces on the tabletop. Later on, we integrated Dex some a few little dexterity elements, but you can actually even play the game with all those elements uh, removed. So uh, yeah, that's a good example of that you don't always need to use components the way they've been used in the past. Yeah, that's an excellent point, but it also brings up something to think about, and that is, okay, players and publishers are going to see this type of game and immediately <laughs> assume what it is, which is going to make your marketing a little more challenging, your pitching a little more challenging. So tell me about that. How do you pitch one of these games? How do you market one of these games to kind of overcome the the ideas that people are bringing in just yeah. by looking at it? <laughs> well, first here, uh, just a huge shout out to to Phase Shift Games, Darren Micelli, who who you know, saw my project and started working with me on it. And, and uh, you know, we worked together. Uh, huge credit to him for solving some of these problems you bring up because it's, it's not easy, you're right. Uh, and it continues to be something that if you're going to use pieces in ways people don't expect, there's, I think, a certain amount of risk that comes with that, right? You know, um, hopefully you get that moment that we get in Dungeon Drop, which is sort of worth it to us that, you know, you get people to sit down, they expect a certain thing having looked at it, but you get this really cool moment uh, once they start to get in and you explain the rules. You often get one of those moments all designers want where they're like, oh, and you can see it click and they realize it's it's something different than they expected. And if you can keep if you can keep their their attention or hook them in enough to get that far, then the experience of seeing uh, components used in a different way can be, I think, something you know, genuinely wonderful about your product. Um, you know, ways to get into that. I think one of the things that really clicked um, was we used a, a, a really charming little style of artwork that because these are only very, it's kind of abstract on the table, these cubes. We added faces in the Kickstarter campaign later, which helped, but um, it's pretty abstract on the tabletop. When we eventually did add cards, um, you know, to give you a character in the dungeon. Um, there was a lot of charm there, which is that initial hook to hopefully, you know, get people interested. But you got to get to that hook pretty quick when you're pitching it, you know, that this is this is not quite what you expect on the table. Right, especially if you name the game Drop, because yeah. people automatically think that's a dexterity type of thing. It must be, I must be dropping things as the gameplay versus <laughs> your game. You really just do it one big time at the beginning for the most part. And so, yeah, I can see how marketing and pitching would be a challenge. But again, it's just something you have to think about if you are going to design one of these games. And, and if you're going to have a Kickstarter campaign, well, you, you better make sure you have some really good previewers mm -hmm. that can show on video how the game works and have some oh, yeah. some moving images, GIFs, on, you know, type of things on your campaign page to show people exactly what's going on, just to be as clear as possible. But let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about custom components versus generic components. Mm. Dungeon Drop is mainly cubes and some other yeah. things, you know, but for the most part, it's generic colored mm. cubes. But I've seen lots of games, especially in the mass market, that are very custom. A mold was you know, made, thousands upon thousands of dollars were spent on these custom molds to make these very custom items. So what are your thoughts on custom versus generic components when it comes to designing these games? Uh, that, yes, that's a good question. I mean, I, I will say uh, my experience is much more from trying to kind of reimagine um, old components used in new ways 
or um, kind of a different spin or take on uh, components that we might have around. It's really tough. I mean, I envy. I would love to get you know a three D printer and and get into that. And I think there are people out there that could take the kind of stuff we're talking about way further. You know, in certain areas than I can. If you get into that world. Um, a good example, though, of like a modified component uh, that 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 can be made, and one I was working on is uh, I don't know if you've seen ShipShape uh, that came out a little while ago, um, which is a really cool project where you have like a a stack of sort of like I think the chipboard tiles with little um, cutouts in them, so they stacked on top of each other, and you can see when they're in a stack, you can see down into these spaces. When you put new things on the stack, you cover things up. I was working on a game like exactly like that. Uh, it was supposed to be a time travel game. Um, and you, you stacked a whole bunch of these um, sort of like cardboard pieces on top of each other. And they had different cutouts in them that I just made with an X-Acto knife, just playing around with these things and sticking them on top of each other and seeing if you looked through, you know, depending on how big I made these holes and you looked through, what could you see down into these holes underneath? And in my mind, it was like uh, you were going back through time so you could see these little glimpses at the past, which I, I you know, the concept I loved, I could not crack it. Like I <laughs> couldn't quite find the, the marriage because eventually, even if you start there and that really playful space you know eventually you have to come back into the mechanics and stuff that are going to make it work even if this is your starting point um so it's really cool to see ship shape come out and be like oh somebody somebody figured that one out like <laughs> they got the mechanics right to go with that same kind of um uh playful component first concept um and it really clicked but um, in terms of the world of of really unique custom components i mean that's where i envy um you know some of the, the the toy makers out there every once in a while i will get some cardboard is just like a phenomenal component because you can you can mess around with it and kind of build your own things uh in different ways so that is that's a great place just a stack of some nice cardboard is a great place to start yeah absolutely and you bring up a really good point in that another challenge with this type of designing is is actually making it a game because I feel like it really could just be something that you do. It's an activity. It's it's a playful kind of thing, the way you're messing with these components on the table. But but then actually adding game mechanics to it or a scoring system or a way to win or lose, I feel like that could be kind of challenging. Do you have anything as far as advice on, on doing that or anything that you've run into in your own designs as far as like making it an actual game? Yeah. Well, this is the part, you know, it's a starting point, but it's not an end point, you know, and... Uh, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, some, some people listening to this, it might, it might help as a starting point to jumpstart ideas, you know, and that's really a big part of what I'm recommending. Um, but for me, you know, I kind of have a notebook that has starts for games in different categories, right? So I've got kind of a running list of some, some themes that I've just always wanted to make a game about, you know, um, and then, you know, a few little twists on mechanics, I think might be neat to try sometime, you know, uh, and also this component idea, you know, um, and a, a really good example of this is a project I'm actually in the process of developing with, with phase shift games. It's a, we're calling it slope side right now, but it's, you build a three-dimensional ski resort, like three, uh, 3d ski mountain. And, you know, you have, uh, the, the real component it hinges on is, is uh, cards that are bent at 90 degrees, kind of like you see in um, 
Rhino Hero, uh, if anybody's played that. You know, but I always played Rhino Hero and you make that awesome tower. It's a dexterity game. You're just waiting for it to fall over. But at the same time, you're, you're building like a tower. It's got all these little windows on the outside and you can see inside the rooms. And while I played Rhino Hero with my kids, I was you know kind of thinking in the back of my head, boy, wouldn't it be kind of interesting if you took this component in different direction? Like what if it did matter what was in the room <laughs> or what was, what was outside the house? Um, and maybe you didn't build it so high, so it never fell down, you know? Um, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got maybe a, a new way into a project. But essentially what I'm looking for is a few of these ideas in different categories to click together. So like on my theme list, you know, I, I enjoy skiing. There's a few skiing games out there, but I, you know, I, I still don't have one that I absolutely love. So it's on my list of things. And, um, you know, this other idea uh, of the the 90 degree cards I was, I was messing around with and all of a sudden the two come together, right? And that's when I think when multiple categories uh, come together, that's when you really start to have something um, the whole idea of, of a ski mountain and all those trails that that wind down and across and over the course of the sides of a mountain really started to click with this this uh, other component idea I had. Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. I can't wait to see that game or hear more <laughs> about it and how it works. Rhino Hero is one of my kids' favorite yeah. games. And so the idea that you've taken that concept and turned it into more of a kind of a gamer type game and yeah, using scoring in some way and things mattering and not just being, Hey, stack it up and see who loses. <laughs> this sounds like a very interesting concept, but let's, let's switch gears a little bit again. So when the pandemic happened, a lot of playtesting went digital, whether it was tabletop simulator or tabletopia, a lot of these online digital platforms that were kind of used before the pandemic are heavily used now for playtesting. That's a little bit challenging sometimes when you have a component first design. And so tell me about that. Is there any advice mm-hmm. you have, or is it just something you just got to get over and you just got to figure it out oh, and, and, and you know, <laughs> overcome or, or what? Tell me what you've been doing in these interesting times. Yeah. Yeah. My first response when I saw, like, I remember there was a first contest somewhere I was thinking of entering and they were right, right in the, you know, initial instructions. It was like, must be submitted on tabletop simulator. And uh, my initial reaction me being me was kind of terror. It's like, oh no, <laughs> because the 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 types of things I've I've come to really enjoy doing just don't translate easily there. Uh, you know, big credit to uh, it some of these designs that I've been working on. Every once in a while, I'll have some incredibly kind person be like, oh, you can do that there. Let me show you how. And it's just such a great example of how the gaming community is just awesome that people people want to do that and. And people can, you know, it's clear that you can crack some of these these um, barriers um, with some really clever thinking with these programs. But there's no question, it's way harder, um, and it it doesn't naturally suit this well. Uh, you could also ask uh, the, the guys at, at Phase Shift uh, translating something like Dungeon Drop into uh, kind of an app form is not an easy. It's not an easy process uh, and way more intensive than, than a lot of those board game conversions are. So, uh, you know, it, in terms of advice, I mean, I, I told myself, like, I wasn't going to stop designing this way. You know, um, I do think, you know, things shift over time. And, you, you know, for me, it's like I got to stay true to the way I, I like to design games, you know, regardless of how things are going. Usually there's, I just trust that 
there's a way it'll work out in the end, you know, um, you know, design the way you want to design. And uh, I think things tend to have a way of working out, you know, you're back to a convention, you get a chance to show somebody something in person or start with a video or something like that, that, that gets people hooked. It's uh, <laughs> if anybody else is like me out there, though, it, it is hard if you have a really physical game and most of the stuff is going on digitally. It's it's tricky. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Scott, this has been great, man. Anything else you want to just kind of talk about or, or anything we haven't brought up as far as your own game designs or anything as far as component first designing? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think I just want to end kind of coming back to my original point, you know, uh, of, of trying to encourage, uh, other designers to, to try making some space for this. And, and, uh, like I said, giving more of their, their inner child, a, a chance, a space, uh, a little, uh, space in their game design world to, to really exist without some of our, I know in the, in the game design world these days, it, it can be a, a really heady place. Um, you know, the pressure of designing the next big deep game um, with all the absolutely phenomenal games out there is, is big. Um, but I would just encourage people to keep this, this really playful side of yourself in your game design um, and uh, break out some some bits that make you happy and you know, open up dump out some drawer of your your game design materials um, and and just find some time to play and uh, it, it might lead somewhere new yeah absolutely I totally agree I think there are some really cool ideas out there if people would just be a little more open to this type of designing and uh, hopefully after hearing this after seeing the success of your games as well they'll they'll think oh maybe i could design something along those lines as well well scott this has been great man tell uh, tell listeners what projects you're working on you mentioned the ski slope game that sounds pretty cool yeah. i don't know if that's like a <laughs> an announced thing that you have a date or anything but tell tell them about any projects you're working on and where they can find you yeah so for me right now i i really am a part of the the phase shift games world. So uh, the phase shift games website is, is a great place to just interact with a lot of the, the projects I'm working on. Um, and uh, we've got dungeon drop. We did an expansion to dungeon drop, a drop too deep. Uh, that's uh, just getting delivered. It had all the delays that people had in COVID, but um, it's getting out there and into the world, which is really cool. Um, Drop Drive, um, which is a sci-fi game that, of course, shares something in common with the last project. It starts the same way. Where you drop all kinds of crazy stuff. Only in this one, you're building a, a solar system on your tabletop with planets and space junk and all kinds of stuff to explore there. But from that point on, it's a totally different game. Uh, so if anybody checked out our Kickstarter, it it's, uh, uses uh, pieces in a, in a totally different way there. Um, and that that'll be uh, there through Phase Shift Games as well. Um, and this other one is uh, I'm talking about it. <laughs> it's still uh, still a nice prototype box on my tabletop that uh, I'm going to be playing with the guys at Phase Shift soon. So that one's still early on in the process. Awesome, well, Scott. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with bringing more of these component first games to life and uh, everything else you got going on right now. Thanks so much for having me, Gabe. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. 
Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?